Welcome to Last Believer, a podcast about good riddance. My name is Josh Lindley. My co-host is Dan. Yes, sir. Uh, this week, we're talking about three songs, as we do every week. We'll be talking about the song Always, the song Salt, and the song Time and a Place. Dan, what do we want our friends to do? So should you feel so inclined, please take a moment to like and subscribe. Um, we'd really love it if you even told a friend who might be into good riddance or just listening to two bozos shooting the shit about old punk. Uh, we also have a contest going on, too. This will be the last week to enter. I know in previous episodes we said end of February. This one comes out just after the end of February, so we'll cap it off at the end of this week. All you have to do for this contest is give us a five-star review. Uh, in said review, uh, Josh had mentioned before that a lot of good written album titles kind of sound like uh, the titles of like dissertations. So make up your best, funniest, fake good written record name in the five-star review. Josh and I will uh, pick our favorite for the winner. What does the winner get? I'm glad you asked. Do you have a list of what our listeners might win? I Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I do. So the winner, the, once we choose the winner, is going to get a little prize package uh, that we'll uh, ship out. So it's going to have some Last Believer stickers that we had made up. Um, I'm going to throw in some uh, Square Up Records releases that I have uh, kicking around and probably some other cool stuff that I have around that may or may not be related to Last Wishes Supply. And that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, so uh, jo- join the contest. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Last Believer Pod. Uh, shoot us an email at lastbelieverpod at gmail.com if you want to uh, complain or just tell us nice things or just, I don't know, suggest some things. And uh, yeah, and that's how you can find us on the socials. Perfect. And while you're dicking around online, sending in these reviews, we have a Spotify playlist on the go. We've been adding songs to it as we go. It's getting weirder and weirder every week, and I'm kind of into it. So just look for Last Believer Podcast playlist on Spotify and you can listen and play along and sort of get hints as to what's coming up in the weeks to follow. This week, the three songs we're talking about, always from uh, the year 2000, which was way longer ago than it seems like, uh, the song Salt and the song Time in a Place. We're going to start with the song Always. Not to cut you off. So before we start... Uh, I just want to call back to something from a couple episodes ago. So I was just kicking around on the internet last night and a couple episodes ago, like I had questioned why uh, Russ and good riddance and just specifically go like after Trump in a song slash uh, review, I think it was an SF weekly. Um, yeah. So I did, so I was just like kicking around. And then I found this quote on the fat website. Um, and basically it's a quote from Russ saying like, I don't particularly want to write about a person. Uh, But I'm keen to write about the undercurrent and political and social climate that could bring about the ascension of somebody like that, because I feel like, unfortunately, that's going to be more timeless. Kind of what we were kind of saying, too, whereas like not specifically going after one person. So it kind of rings true for a long period of time. But now I also kind of feel like a dick for being like, yo, why didn't you just call him out? But yeah, so there you go. So before someone tells me this is why that they did it. I'm correcting myself. Hey, that's great. Taking accountability. It's perfect. That's what we do. (laughs) All right. Shall we start with this week's stuff? Ready when you are. All right. The first song we're going to talk about is Always. Always came out on one of the fat comps in 2001. I think it was Live Fat, Die Young. By that point, my relationship with fat records was 
tenuous and I definitely knew what on the label I wanted to listen to and what I didn't. And so knowing that there was a good written song on this comp, I definitely listened to it as soon as it came out, probably bought it cause it was whatever, four ninety nine or something. Anyhow, this song was originally recorded to go on the EP phenomenon of craving, which we haven't hit any songs from that EP yet. Um, mm. who knows when that's going to happen. Anyway, it, uh, this song stands out and that EP stands out because it is not Sean Sellers. It is not, Richie Mack, and it is not Dave Wagon shoots on drums. It's Dave Ron playing drums on this one with oh. otherwise the standard lineup. Uh, Dave Ron, you might know from RKL or Lagwagon. I guess he's been playing with Hot Water Music a little bit as well. Anyhow, Dan, what did you think of the song Always by Good Riddance? Very good question. Um, I'm trying to figure out if this was the last fat comp that I bought for the same kind of tenuous relationship that you're mentioning or if the one before it was the last one may have been this one but that being said like i don't fully remember the song and i also don't know why but until i took the song in since we said that we were going to be doing it i was singing always in the same tune as slowly <laughs> so I, I like i went to the, the washroom after we finished recording and i was like always <laughs> just like the same tuna slowly and i was like oh that so like that being said when i put it on for the first time i was kind of like bummed out that it wasn't as good as slowly because i did put that very high in my list but i do i do like it um it definitely does seem to have like a tonal shift though um mm-hmm. like while before we were always talking about um you know introspective breakup songs with with them this one seems is seemingly less introspective um mm. seems like there might be like a little hint of desperation just calling out for like either love lost or like long distance relationship type stuff and it was just it was kind of interesting just to kind of see it like a different point of view than what we've been used to the last like few weeks well it's funny you mentioned that i mean i'll get into it a little more but this was actually written in the middle of a good part of a relationship mm. right well which also kind of makes sense it's either like you're longing for someone who you've lost or that is just not close like a long distance right i don't know yeah. about you but i've done long distance and it is not fun no it's the worst so should i get into what i have about this one so far sure just knock okay, it out cool yeah so like i was saying it was supposed to be on the phenomenon of craving and it wasn't and i know that when a lot of the diehard good Rins fans that i was friends with when that ep came out were sort of on the fence about it uh, i thought it was great because on me. Anyway, so the song <laughs> always <laughs> song always in the liner notes on Capricorn One, which by the way, Dan, do you know what Capricorn One is a reference to? It sounds very familiar and I wanna say yes, but then if you ask me to explain it, I'm gonna fail. Yeah, so Capricorn <laughs> One. Capricorn One, and it's totally worth watching. It's this movie came out in the late seventies, early eighties. It's about a hoax. Uh, the name of a space shuttle that is sent to another planet to go and start inhabiting it is called Capricorn One, and it turns out the whole thing is being done on a soundstage. The movie stars of all people, O.J. Simpson. Oh, Orenthal uh, James. Okay. Yeah. The juice. Anyway, so <laughs> it's like it's like a movie based on a conspiracy theory from 40 years ago about how the moon landing was faked. Sure. And the movie is a fictional account, but apparently they got into a lot of trouble for it. As for why Good Riddance named their B-Sides and Rarities compilation Capricorn One, who knows? It's probably just a cool movie. Anyway, this song always 
He says that in the liner notes, he says that he's forever grateful to Chuck and Luke for allowing him to write so many love songs. Hey, man, uh, punk fans write love songs, too. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> like the, the Dead Boys wrote some of the best love songs. Um, this song's about a woman that Russ was engaged to for a while and was written, like I said, at a high point in the relationship. That woman was from Toronto. I feel like we can talk about the Russ and ask. Toronto connection yeah. sometime. I don't think today is the day. Sure. I think that once we start bringing guests on, people are going to have stories of interactions. So I've never written any songs worth listening to, let alone revisiting, but it must <laughs> be strange to have written a song about a relationship or being in love with someone and having that relationship end and then writing liner notes about it 10 years later when you put out your band's B-side and rarities thing. I've definitely thought about that too. And um, just like, even just listening to like emo stuff and <clears throat> not even emo stuff, but just like hearing like brokenhearted love songs. And it's like, all right, 10, 15 years later, the band's still going and you're playing, like you're revisiting, you know, reopening that wound yeah. Like, I think that, oh God, there's one, I don't want to get the band name wrong. It's not, anyway, there's a band from the Boston area and it's on the tip of my tongue. It's going to come to me. And their their first, their first, no, their first record was uh, all about one person. Oof. And then they were, and then they were popular and then they kept playing. And I really, really need to figure this out now. If anybody knows what it is, please let me know. It's something like one of those. They were popular in the whole pop punk thing a little while ago. But I digress. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> no worries. The only thing that would be weirder, honestly, is trying to write liner notes for songs that you wrote 15 years earlier or 10 years sure. earlier. Or whatever. Like imagine going back, especially at this point, because Good Riddance wasn't a band in 2010 when they put this compilation together. So it's fully just like reopening all kinds of wounds. Uh, the music in this song is pretty aggressive, but also catchy. Um, and the second week in a row, the yeah in this song is so fucking good. Like it's a very lived in. Yeah. Um, I get the impression that it wasn't written when he wrote the lyrics. He was literally listening in the studio and just yelled. Yeah, because that break just fucking rules. And we mentioned Dave Ron played drums on this one. Dave Ron from RKL and Lagwagon. Also, RKL in the 90s, there are some fucking stories about that band in the 90s. I mean, RKL were always pretty intense, but apparently the later day RKL lineups had some real sketchy shit happening. And I don't know if Dave Ron was part of that or not. Um, well, the original yeah. RKL or pre-RKL before they were known as that, their drummer was Josh Brolin, man. Yeah, I've, I've heard this story. Um, yeah. But like it wasn't RKL, though. It was just a band with guys from RKL in it. And also Josh Brolin. Yeah, well, my my understanding, it was RKL before Dave and it wasn't officially RKL, but it was on its way to become RKL. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Wait, I'm all about the tangents today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that said, the drumming on this is amazing. But if anything amongst and because we've been doing this for whatever, eight or nine weeks now, I feel like the drumming sounds kind of busy for what you would expect from good riddance. There's so many, and it's not bad. It's just, there's so many sneaky fills and so much like it's a lot faster. And I feel like the drummer is playing for the drummer rather than playing for the song in a lot of parts throughout this okay. song. That's some music dork shit for someone that doesn't actually read or play music. Uh, the point is though, this song, I think the song's awesome. And I sort of wish that it had gone on the phenomenon of craving. 
It's definitely a good song. It's I, I'm not gonna put it in my uh, my top songs, but it's definitely yeah. a good song. Is is there a reason why this did not make that EP though in the liner notes? Is it or it's just no, there's like no, eh. there's no there's no like yeah we liked it less or whatever. I don't think it sounds unfinished by any means. No, it and doesn't. When you listen to that EP beginning to end though, it's a very good indication of all the things that Good Riddance does like sure. uh, throughout six songs. You know, there's like a mid-tempo thing. There's a really fast, really catchy, kind of cute love song. There's some proper like minute and 10 second long songs about feeling oppressed. And like they do a lot of that. And I don't know, maybe they just couldn't afford if they were going to have an EP that's only seven songs. They didn't want two love songs on it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe <laughs> if they pressed it on vinyl, there just wasn't enough room if they were putting it on like a 10 inch or something. I don't it, know. It, exa- it definitely went on a 10 inch. That's another thing. Anyone listening that has an extra copy of Phenomenon of Craving sitting around, let me know. I will buy it from you as long as it's not an obscene amount of money. And like obscene for a 10 inch for me at 40 years old is like 80 bucks shipping included. That, that's still it's still a pretty good offer, I would say. Yeah. Like I'll pay 40 or 50 bucks for the record. I just don't want to pay 150 bucks for the record. Totally fair. I've only I've only paid ugh, over a hundred bucks like a handful of times for a record, and it hurts every time. Yeah, but now you have it, and it was worth it, right? One day I'll I'll tell the story of how I got a uh, lifetime Boys No Good seven inch test press that broke the bank. <laughs> one day, well, one would assume it would. big one this song is called salt it's from ballads from the revolution it's the fifth song in this is the last album they did with ryan green we've done one or two songs from this record already uh sean plays drums on this other than that russ luke chuck this song i think they have played this song at every show that i saw good riddance play since this album came out this one is a legit hit as far as good riddance is concerned sure dan what did you think so <clears throat> this song slap like it slaps. It's it's very good. It's very of its time. In a previous episode, I had mentioned that Operation Phoenix was probably like in my mind like the the pinnacle, like the the good written sound that I knew. And then the more that I look at like the song titles that are on this record, and we hear them, I'm like, wait, no, I think this was the record that I was like, you know, deepest into the, these. Well, it's because of doing the radio show. Uh, my mm-hmm. co-host Tony love this record and would play a lot of stuff from this record. And that, so I think that's really what it is in my head, but uh, yeah, it's very, very of its time. Um, and it sounds like 100 different bands and songs that I would have listened to back in 98. Yeah. Um, like when it speeds up, it reminded me of like degenerate by blink 182. Um, like just specifically like how just like speeding up and chaotic it, it goes. And then you know, I've heard so many like different skate punk bands just like screaming at me, um, kind of like just while I'm listening to it, being like, I can't even pick up all the things that this reminds me of. Um, it like it even kind of sounds like uh, previous, you know, previously mentioned Bud's attention, uh, like just skate punk with gruff vocals. You know, like it's right up there. 
And like even like the riffing, I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like it could be like MXPX or reset riffing, you know, totally. just like gruff, gruff singing on it. Um, and then I couldn't really put my finger on the there was a lyric in my head that I thought fit to it. And I was like, fuck, like, what is that song? So I put the lyrics in. It was Stand by Good Riddance that it reminded me of. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. All right. So, yeah, it fits. Um, yeah, so this record comes out in, like, 98. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't recall, like, if they pushed this song. Uh, but you like you're mentioning, though, they played it at all the live shows, so it was considered, like, a hit. Um, but yeah. I didn't see anything about it being a single, um, you know, or it being pushed. I didn't see, like, a video being no, done definitely not. no um no. yeah so because like in that time too like pop punk getting like bigger you know it's the, oh, yeah potentially, sure. it potentially could have been picked up like this potentially could have been like a single that maybe could have charted right so i was like looking yeah. and see if there was anything that had to do with it being a single jumped on the old youtubes found um I, the only thing i found was like you know like the album cover you know and then playing mm-hmm. the song over it and then yeah. There was like a live in Germany and then Russ just has like this really dope Ensign basketball jersey on. I was like, yep, that's pretty good. Here's a little known fact about one of your hosts. I collect basketball jerseys uh, and I do not have an Ensign basketball jersey or a sick of it all basketball jersey. And friend of the pod, Eric Cadet, has a Slayer jersey that. (laughs) I can promise you that dude is too big to wear anymore. And I, am just, <laughs> and I am just barely small enough to still fit into it. And every time I see him, I'm just like, so uh, how's your basketball jersey doing? And he's just like, yeah, no. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but uh, so, when, yeah. when I was looking at that, though, too, and then I kind of went on my own little rabbit hole, too, because I was like, oh, man, that Ensign jersey is sick. I totally would have rocked that back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And then I had like a little like time warp, you know, like um, I don't know if you were there, but, um, you know, Southern Ontario greats grade uh, did mm-hmm. like a few reunion shows um, mm-hmm. and they played the Mod Club with Ensign and uh, yeah. in Toronto, you know, rest in peace, the Mod Club. I think it's dead now. Um, but the next day they played a basement matinee at Parts and Labor. So like a basement show, Ensign crushed it. Grade always amazing. Both bands totally underrated. But yeah, anyways, I guess that's a little bit of a tangent. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good to take away from this one. Sounds like a really fun cookie cutter uh, skate punk song from 98. I don't know if it's going to make my top tens, but it's probably on the outside looking in for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like I was saying, this one's a hit. Uh, if you ask someone who's maybe no longer into good riddance or punk at all, what good riddance songs they know, this is going to be one of them for sure. Uh, it's one of the catchiest songs they ever wrote. The lead part is so, like you were saying, very of the time, very 90s pop punk. Uh, there's definitely bands that got huge playing songs that sound a lot like this, but maybe not as fast and definitely not about violence at punk shows. Sure. Uh, from the time they put this record out, like I was saying, Salt was always in the set list. I like that it's a call in rather than a call out. Like, he's not telling these dudes, and let's be honest, it's always dudes, to fuck off and get out. He's trying to create, like, a dialogue with them. And it's like, okay, so what now? Okay, so you showed up, you proved how tough you are. What now? 
that you were into like pylons and stuff when you were going to hardcore shows. Oh, but like yeah. in general, are you a mosh pitter? Oh God, that is a weird loaded question. So in this time, like mid to late nineties, was I mosh pitting? Sure. When I got more into hardcore and was like moshing, you know, like two stepping, picking up change, stage dives, high fives, the whole, the whole nine yards. Uh, no, then I stopped being like the general, just punk rock mosh pit. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, now I'm too old for that. Unless, unless it's a sick of it all show and then nobody's safe. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I definitely like the pits that, uh, look like the sticking in my eye video more than I like the victory <laughs> style spin kicks and like oh for sure for sure yes yeah mostly i like that going to punk and hardcore shows gives kids or you know old dudes that do podcasts an opportunity to just go wild because you know you spend so much time in your life just not reacting and having a space where you can do that i'm okay with it uh this song of course it's about the people that show up and just don't get it though Like, it's not about the people who just want to show up and go wild. Um, Going into a pit with the goal of just hurting people. So stupid. Uh, And I love I I love when you're at a show and you see that guy. uh, And unfortunately, you know, violence is really only the way to deal with it. But I do really like watching those assholes get dealt with. Also, like I, I have like an idea and a general rule, and I don't know why. It isn't like I can't be the only person that's thought of this, but like you get one stage dive per set. You know, if you're at like a four band show and you want to stage dive, you can stage dive once per band. If you're the sort of person that like every song is climbing on stage and every song expects everyone to get in your way before you fucking jump off a stage and break your neck. You can't you can't do that 12 times per band. That shit is stupid. It drives me crazy. And then you're the annoying dude that's just stage diving the whole time. Uh, that said, grabbing out on stage dive is sick and you should definitely do it and really relish it when you do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I agree that the person stage diving, especially uh, to an excess amount is annoying. Me, I, I don't know if I want to limit it to one per, <laughs> per set, but not every single song or not over and over again, nonstop. Like that yeah. shit is annoying for sure. Yeah. Because I'm just making like, it about yourself and it's not about just like spazzing out and losing your fucking mind at a show. It's about like making it about yourself, which like if that's the case, fucking start a band. Fantastic. Absolutely. That I will yeah. agree with that 100 uh, percent. Also, with this song, Goodrin's fan base in 1998 was and to be honest, still is partially made up of dudes who don't get it. Um, and writing a song like this to purposely alienate or like, like I was saying, call in, but not everyone might be receptive to it. Uh, I think that's a pretty sick move, you know, um, sort of like let's talk more rock on the second propaganda record where it's like, okay, so you want to be a tough guy and you say you love my band. Well, here's the thing that our band thinks, and it might bum you out, but we're going to say it anyway. Also, as far as violence or danger at punk shows, honestly, I kind of like it, like not people actually getting hurt, but the like the potential for chaos. Yeah. You know, um, I'm going to read this page from the Kim Gordon book. It just so happens that I'm reading uh, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth's book the same week that we drew this song. And I know there are fans of Good Riddance thinking like, what the fuck does Sonic Youth or Kim Gordon have to do with violence at shows? But check this out. This is 
Yeah, this is from her book. It came out like five years ago. I'm I'm getting used to reading on the podcast. It's uh, <laughs> my <new> thing. <clears throat> so uh, Thurston and I first met Raymond Pettibone in the early 80s during a trip to L.A. where I was visiting my parents. Someone told us about a house party in Hermosa Beach where Black Flag was playing, so we drove down to the South Bay, pulling up in front of a typical single-level house. The neighborhood was languid, slightly funky, as if it had tried and failed to become a beach resort, morphing instead into a shabby suburban neighborhood, a walk away from the ocean. The house was small, the music ferocious, Henry Rollins in the kitchen in full force, dressed in those signature small black shorts that I believe are technically old-school nylon bathing suit. Slick with sweat, he was writhing around, bumping into cabinets and people, at one point coming up to me and singing straight in my face. Coming from the New York downtown scene, where people had no houses or garages, and thus no house parties, this was completely new to us. The Black Flag show was one of the best gigs I'd seen before or since. Scary, surreal, intimate, as the sound crashed and bounced off the refrigerator, the counter, the shelves, and Henry Rollins twerked years before twerking existed, the performance fused hardcore punk with suburban sunlit banality. High theater with the everyday, erasing any and all boundaries between band and audience. Reading that, I was just like, you know what? Yeah. I yeah. have been punched in the nose and kicked yeah. in the head at shows yeah. and it's kind of part of it. And I'm pretty into it. And that like bizarre and, you know, like bewildering experience when you don't really know what's happening is why I love punk shows. And I'm real bummed. It's been so long since I've been to a show. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I would be lying if I said that, you know, the, violence more so the chaos um was not a huge thing that attracted me to like the scene right like yeah. uh, like other other than like you know the the whole you know misfit kid finds a place where they belong or whatever but the chaos yeah. is definitely like yeah and i've been oh man i've definitely been kicked punched head walked on like all that stuff but you know what you brush it up and you i mean wait hold on i shouldn't i shouldn't just say that so nonchalantly some people do get really really hurt but i find if if you're doing it not in a way to hurt people but in a way to have fun everyone seems to have fun but it's when somebody kind of takes it you know one step over the line yeah it's you know yeah oh yeah i i just remember being at a show and i'm not gonna say the the band name or the person involves, um, just because it implicates too many people. But at one point, the singer, just right before the breakdown, just screams, everybody needs a punch in the face. And this person who I had a history with, and I was in Hamilton. like So I went from Ottawa to Hamilton for the show. The person just grabs me by the collar of my shirt, clocks me in the face, and my nose just explodes blood everywhere. Um, yeah. So that was my first show in Hamilton. And uh, good times. I mean, par for the course. What was the last show that you saw before everything shut down? I don't know. Do you know what the last thing you saw was? Yeah, definitely. I went and saw a band called Control Top. They were playing in a venue that held maybe 60, 70 people called the Monarch here in Toronto. Uh, Control Top is a three piece. Definitely like the. Like uh an arm of punk that would have evolved out of 1982 that wasn't hardcore, but definitely, you know, keyboards, loops, samples, dancey beats, but played with so much aggression and yeah, 
look up Control Top if you haven't ever. I will. And also the best pizza slice in Toronto is at Batondo's across the street from directly the across the street. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what it was. It was probably something at the bovine. Right. And I'm just saying that because like it was like, you know, when Gabe is shout out to Gabe doing all the uh, the booking there, it'd be like, oh, OK, cool. I'm just going to pop in on a Friday or a Saturday, see what's going on. Usually like one of my friends' bands is playing or something or someone's from out of yeah. town. Shit. Yeah, man, this is going to bug me now that <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't figure anyways we'll get back to that next week time in a place uh, off of Operation Phoenix and honestly we're doing so many Operation Phoenix songs I feel like the last six months of this podcast is just going to be the songs from uh that six song ep and uh forgotten country but i'm also okay with that we've talked a lot about operation phoenix i don't need to tell you anything more about the album uh the song time in a place comes in it is track 15 if you have the cd and i'm pretty sure it's track six if you uh are working off of the b-side of the record Bill Stevenson and blah, blah, blah. Dan, what did you think of Time and a Place? <laughs> Bill Stevenson and blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, we know, well, we know. well. Uh, I feel like we're kind of batting a thousand this week. Um, yeah. This is this is a, it's a good song. Like, it's great. But it's also really weird because if you played me this song separately, like if you were just randomly like, you know, we're just hanging out, having a, a cocktail at, at your place and you put this song on just without context and you ask me what, good riddance record this was on i would not guess operation phoenix yeah sure it just it's it seems like just from the songs that we've listened to so far it just doesn't just it didn't sound the same and that's i'm not saying that in a negative way it just i never Mm. would have guessed it the song actually really really reminds me of gorilla biscuits like from the strong structure and the chord progression uh to the melody to the harms to the breakdown um and this is actually really funny this is very coincidental and i swear on my life this is true i wrote that note and that takedown before you texted me saying hey man we should probably really try and go to fest this year because both good riddance and gorilla biscuits are playing (laughs) and i i I, like i swear it's like it was like such a coincidence that when you texted me that i was like no fucking way (laughs) that i just went back to my notes and yeah um yeah, it just to me it just sounded like someone doing like a Gorilla Biscuit song. So that kind of got me thinking too, because I I am a huge Gorilla Biscuits fan. I love mm-hmm. that that era of of hardcore, uh, and Walter Schreifels does so much so much good stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I was thinking like oh, I really wish it was like maybe more than one full length, but maybe it's kind of good. There's a perfect LP and nothing to tarnish. But what I was thinking off the top of your head, sorry to put you on the spot. I'm in. What Gorilla Biscuit song do you think Good Riddance would cover best? Start today. See, I was thinking High Hopes. High Hopes would be great. What's the... Cats and Dogs would also be a good one, too, because it's also, you know, but... uh... No, definitely Start Today. Start Today is where my brain is on that. Yeah, that song is fucking perfect. Okay. I just played I just played every Gorilla Biscuit song in my head for the last 20 seconds, and <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with Start Today. 
Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Um, fun fact, do you know where the horns from the beginning of that record are from? No. Hit me. <laughs> so, they didn't play them in studio or anything. They're fucking taken yeah. from a Cheech and Chong movie when uh, <laughs> there's like a dream sequence and <laughs> they, they lifted the horns, which is funny because all those dudes were straight edge back then and they lifted oh, yeah. horns. Yeah. Look, I... Before I had ever smoked weed, I thought Cheech and Chong was funny. Facts. Same. Yeah. Absolutely. Same. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, I went off so a little yeah. tangent there. Yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, nothing to apologize about. I actually once upon a time saw, I don't know how bootlegged this was, but saw a good riddance t-shirt that was the GB Gorilla Biscuits logo slightly altered to say GR. And I don't think like, I don't think, I don't think that it came from, Good riddance or from Fat Records. I think it was a straight up knockoff, you know, bootleg thing. But I remember seeing it and thinking that's really funny and I am not buying it uh, anyway. Whereas I'm I'm writing a note down to look the Internet, look on the Internet later to try and find a bootleg and buy it. <laughs> the, the Good riddance Gorilla Biscuit shirt. Uh, yes. Anyway, as I mentioned last week, I think that as far as song sequencing on albums, uh, you know, going from the super dense, politically charged, biting, hardcore song, winning the hearts and minds, which we did a few weeks ago into this again, this one, definitely more introspective relationship song. Truly one of the reasons that I think Operation Phoenix is the best Goodrin's record, sure. uh, like as as a one two punch, like the song isn't any slower and there's a bit of a bounce to it. Like you were saying, it doesn't necessarily sound like everything else on Operation Phoenix, like most of the album really has its foot on your neck. Uh, and this song has a pocket, like almost a groove that it fits into, which like, I apologize for saying groove. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think one of the more exciting parts that the band has ever written is in the second verse of this song, the part where Russ sings forever, such a long, long time. And there's almost like a, a one bar miniature breakdown where everything drops out and there's a snare roll that comes in and like a chugging part on the guitar and bass. And like, it brings yeah. it back up, creates this amazing, like rising action. And they do it in the middle of a verse, which it's, yeah, this song is fucking amazing. It's also cool that even though operation Phoenix is primarily a politically focused album, there's a handful of relationship songs on it and time in a place like I was saying is towards the end of the record and really shows that Russ is ready to be an adult and reconcile his feelings about this person that if you follow all the way through the album, I mean, there's only whatever, three, maybe four relationship songs on this record of like 18 songs, 17 songs. It's about a girl. Like there are songs that are about a girl and this really wraps it all up. Not to say that operation Phoenix is a concept album. Although to be honest, I feel like a band writes a song, writes an album in, you know, however, six months or two weeks or however long it takes a band to write an album. Of course, it's going to be a concept album because you're into all the same stuff at the same time. So it's going to have a theme to it. Sure. Concept album is one of those things that like gets me. Also, remember in like 2005 to 2010 when everybody put out a concept album? Well, we uh, before we were recording, we were talking about. Ottawa metal heroes buried inside who put yeah. out uh, a record with the concept that time is a, is a man-made thing. And that record fucking is so sick. Also, I want to say that the best excuse I ever gave to my mom when I broke curfew, I was like 14 or 15 and I had just gotten into philosophical anarchy. Uh, 
and I came home at, you know, one thirty in the morning when I was supposed to be home at midnight kind of thing. And my mom said something about like, you've missed curfew by an hour and a half. I stayed up late, wait, blah, 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 like the usual mom thing. And I looked at her with a straight face and said, mom, time is the invention of a capitalist government used to keep the pawns in order. And she was like, ah, just fucking go to bed. Uh, You're a little anyway, shit, eh? <laughs> oh, I was such an asshole, dude. Um, anyway, time and a place I think is like the song that punk bands should aim to write relationship songs like i love it it's not about the person and it's not about it's not even about the specific relationship it's like a zoomed out look at the situation which is a perspective that again not a lot of love songs or breakup songs really come from yeah man i it's, it's a good song it's i mean um of course if i'm telling you that it sounds like a gb song from like just the whole way that it's written and composed and and i yeah then i, yeah. I obviously i'm gonna be on board because yeah man the song riffs it's a good song ready for the quiz yeah i have a just a really ridiculous little quiz that kind of we kind of talked about a bit last week, but I kept it open because I thought it could be just a fun little ridiculous thing. And it has some CanCon to it. So where is the <laughs> chat here? While you're looking that up, are, have we reached a point in the pod where I can offer my opinion on such illustrious things as CanCon? Is this... Is this on or off the record? I'm going on the record as saying. <laughs> okay. I mean, can it's fine either way, but yeah. CanCon, for anyone listening in the U.S., and I understand that most of our listeners are in the U.S., CanCon yes. is a ruling made by the federal government um, regarding broadcast laws in Canada, which says that, like last I knew, it was 30%. It might be higher now, but 30% of all content broadcast in Canada needs to be Canadian, or at least partially so. And there's music, artist, production, and lyrics, and they sort of have like a, a, a checklist. And you need to check at least two of those things for it to be considered a Canadian production. And I think that in theory, that's a great idea. And it would support independent Canadian artists and Canadian art all across the board. Uh, this applies. I'm My reference is generally to music, but I'm sure it figures into TV and YouTube and Apple music and streaming sites, everything else. However, yeah. what ends up happening, just like with anything that is, uh, whenever there's money, what ends up happening is that everyone in Canada gets to hear a song by the tragically hip every hour for their entire life. And that's not to make fun of the Tragically Hip. Whatever anyone thinks is Tragically Hip is fine. The problem that I see is that there are 7,000 other bands in Canada that are ignored, but once an hour we can hear a song by the Tragically Hip, just so that broadcasters can make their CanCon quota. So while I don't think CanCon in and of itself is a bad idea and supporting 30% Canadian artists and talent is a bad thing, I think that it is mismanaged. And overall, I think CanCon should just be abolished or refined to the point where it's actually manageable. I I don't think CanCon is inherently evil. Mismanaged is a great way to say it. Yeah. Um, while you're right, I don't want to listen to the same, um, whether it be 
tragically hit or Nickelback Sloan. or Headstones or well, you know, I do want to listen to Sloan a lot, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, that's the, well, I, I also kind of feel bad putting Sloan in a category with a bunch of bands sure. that I wouldn't listen to on purpose, but it is the sort of thing where it's such a finite number of bands that actually benefit from CanCon. Yes, correct. But the only the the big benefit that I see from CanCon, and again, I know it more so from um, the radio side as well, not anything other than that, is that I want. How do I say this? It's it's a way that Canadians can kind of keep their culture without being washed away by American culture as well, sure. and keeping yeah. our art relevant. Um, yeah. And I mean, this also comes from someone who uh, was raised in Quebec, where. On top of CanCon, you have to have X amount of French stuff as well. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Right. French so in Con, a, I believe it's called. But I also <laughs> – and as much as I don't like – I think it's called the, like the, the Law 101 where you have mm-hmm. – like in Quebec where you have to have um, uh, English and French on the signs and French has to be you know X amount bigger than the English stuff. And it's really yeah. to preserve the French because you know the – like just – English and American culture just kind of starts washing over. I get you want to preserve your culture, but I think mismanaged, especially with CanCon, is the way that uh, yeah, it just needs to be refined. Absolutely, you. I think you said that really well. I think it just needs to be refined because you know, like even our friends in the flats, right? Like the Flatliners. Like why aren't yeah. they getting a ton of CanCon radio play? Like their last yes. record was so good and like a really good radio record, and that's not a dig. Chris, Paul, Scott, like John, I'm sorry, not a dig. Uh, yeah, like it's it, it just it, it could have and should have done really well. But like you're saying, there's just a certain small group of bands that get to benefit from it more than others. Yes. And that's yeah. and that's the problem with CanCon. Now, yeah, yeah, on to yeah. this quiz called It's Time to Find Out Which Jim Carrey Character You're Most Like. Oh, actually, just before we start the quiz, you had put out on Instagram today uh, a little call out to see if there was something that someone wanted to hear. We did get a message uh, while we were recording from uh, Punk Rock Jazzman. Uh, Punk Rock Jazzman would like to know, what was the song that when you first heard it, you knew that this is the direction music was going to take you? Uh, Institutionalized by suicidal tendencies. Huh. Okay. I think that was I think that was the one because I was I had been listening to this is keep in mind, I'm like a eight, nine, ten year old kid. I really liked ACDC and I really liked Metallica and I really liked even some Aerosmith stuff, like very much like the harder side of classic rock. Yeah. But then hearing institutionalize, it was so fast and it's just got fucking sure. screaming and clearly angry. I think that that would be. But even after that was when I got into was after suicidal, I got into public enemy. And really, I think public enemy, as far as like noise and message and guaranteed to bum out your parents. Like, I don't know if public enemy counts as a punk band. I'm sure they don't think of themselves as a punk band, but I bet they've showed up on enough punk bands, like lists of influences. And honestly, like, I don't know what's more punk than Public Enemy. You named your band Public Enemy. Like it's the most fucking punk band name other than Minor Threat. Uh yeah. Uh Public Enemy in my mind definitely can be considered a punk band for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of really early independent hip hop can be considered punk because it was so DIY. Um And then the well the the circular route of that though is that so I was into like 
hard rock and metal and then got into public enemy specifically and then rap music in general because of that. And I sort of went the back way and got from public enemy to the beastie boys. And by the time check your head came out and there's a couple of hardcore songs on check your head. Yep. And that was how I got, I, I was just like, wait, so I can listen to rap and aggressive rock music and skateboarding is what's going to tie both those things together. Fucking count me in. And yeah, so suicidal is a big step, but like Public Enemy, I think is the one. Um, I was into a lot of alt alt rock and metal. Like my older cousin, she was into like Metallica and Pantera. So obviously, you I scammed like a um, Columbia House, one of those things. Scammed one oh, of those. Yeah, got sure. a ton, yeah, yeah, got a yeah. ton of like rock and metal tapes. Yeah. But I think. You know, and like this goes back to like our intro episode, like when my cousin gave me that tape, um, I got a copy of that tape because I saw the video for You're Too Cool by Gob. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's definitely not the first punk that but it's the first thing that pops into mind is being like, well, shit, <laughs> everything has changed. Yeah, for sure. All right. Shall we? Jim we Carrey. Shall. All right. Yes. Dan. Choose yes. a Jim Carrey movie, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Mr. Popper's Penguins. What the fuck is that? Liar, Liar, Lemony Snicket's Blah, 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 A Christmas Carol, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Pick one. Oh, two Christmas movies. Get out of here. So Pet, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective is super transphobic because <laughs> I rewatched it within the last couple months. It yeah, doesn't do hold up. No. Oh, but, but it's funny. It's good. It's still a good. The other than like that. Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel. It's still a funny yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Ace Ventura, super problematic, but I definitely have seen that movie like 50 times. I am I am yeah. picking that one. Yeah, we both are. <laughs> okay. Understanding that it was a time and a place. Yes. Choose we're, another we're gonna, movie. Yeah, we're going to go on record and say that we are not transphobic and we do not support the message but I don't think if, you, if someone has never seen time. if someone's never seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective, you don't need to. It's not worth your time. However, if you were 12, 15, 12 to 15 years old when that movie came out and you watched it a bunch. Yeah. Cool, man. We're with you. Uh, all right. So we're going to choose another movie. Uh, we only have four options this time. We have fun with Dick and Jane, Bruce Almighty, The Truman Show and me, myself and Irene. Uh, well, okay. So fun with Dick and chain is the one where he's like, uh, it's like, uh, like they create a recession in that one. Right. I honestly, man, is that I, that I, one? I, and then I Bruce, Bruce Almighty, he's like, he's Jesus or something. Me, myself and Irene, I think is maybe as problematic as Ace Ventura only instead of being uh, racist and transphobic, it's more about people with mental illness and the Truman show, is a legit piece of like cinematic genius. I'm going Truman show. I think. Yeah. We're, we're two for two on the same thing here. Oh, okay. we've got to choose another movie. God damn it. Jesus okay. Christ. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So the other choices here are the mask cable guy, dumb and dumber and uh, Batman forever. Um, I, I didn't, even when I was a kid, I didn't like the mask cable guy is super dark and I bet it's not very good, but at the time it was really impressive. Dumb and dumber it's fucking so stupid and hilarious. And Batman Forever was a bad movie, but the Riddler is all time favorite Batman villain for me. For sure. Still, yeah, picking, still picking Dumb and Dumber. Excellent choice. 
I personally am going to pick the cable guy because you're right. It is dark. It is very funny. And for some reason, it's coming back in like my like, I don't know. Like I keep hearing about it recently and like on movie podcasts and it's like not meme form, but like just kind of. You know, it just people saying like it still holds up and like I forget I forget who directed it. But anyways, it's it's a good one. I'm going to pick it. Right. I'm probably going to watch it after we're done here. All okay. right. So now we get we get to pick an element. We got water, wind, hearth and fire. Obviously fire. Definitely fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying not to pick the same things as you. Um, I'm going to go water. For no real reason other sure. than it's refreshing. Water, water everywhere. So let's all have a drink. Dan, what's your favorite type of music? Rock, opera, jazz, rap, rumba, or pop? What the fuck? Yeah, for this, I'm taking you – know, I love punk rock. I also love rap music a lot. I was listening to so much Wu-Tang today. It was the best. I am taking rap music. I'm also going rap music. I don't care if we get the same result. <laughs> All right, so now we're talking genres of movies. We're looking at romances. We're looking at comedies, drama, horror, mystery, action, westerns, or musicals. I watched the second part of Kill Bill the other day and was like, man, do I like westerns? And then I remembered who I am as a person, and so I'm picking horror. Awesome movie. Um, I mean, I love love watching The Mandalorian, and I'm like, do I like Westerns? Same thing. Um, but I'm a comedy guy, man. I love to laugh. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. All right, which character are you? Get? you? Okay, I'll go first. I, I am Ace Ventura from Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I never miss a beat. Uh, I am one to give up a completely good opportunity to pursue what I'm passionate about. I'm eccentric, persistent, and I care a lot about protecting animals. That's somewhat true, I suppose. What do you got? All righty, then. I got the same thing. <laughs> well, then. I, you know what I think it was? I think this quiz is based on whatever you pick first. <laughs> and that's what it's going to give you the uh, – yeah. Man, that quiz Imagine sucks. I, I'm not gonna. Yeah, that, yeah, if you if you come across oh, an online right. quiz and you think it would be funny for the two of us to answer those questions, send it our way. Also, I feel like unless someone sends more quizzes our way, let's not do those until we start bringing guests on, and then let's find out what people think their favorite noodle is or whatever. Yeah, I'm down with that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we we you know enough about the two of us now. You don't need to hear us answer these BuzzFeed yeah. questions. And, well, I would much rather answer a question specifically from someone like our pal punk rock jazz man um, who, you know, had something specific versus us fucking around on BuzzFeed. <laughs> I'm really bummed that that was like our last quiz potentially for a while because it was real bad. We could have okay. gone out on a high note, but instead... Well, you know what? Maybe I'll surprise you with one and we will. But uh, OK, let's yeah. see our, our numbers here. Uh, let's see here. Our first one is number 16. Ooh, 16. We might have our first guest next week based on what number 16 oh. is. Go on. What's what's okay, our second song going to be? The next, next week? number is 21. 21. That's going to be on the same record. Oh, wow. OK. All right. Uh, yeah. What's our next number? 
uh, not on the same record will be number 159. Ah, sick. All right. So our songs for next week, we have two songs from the album, A Comprehensive Guide to Modern Rebellion. We have the songs Steps and Static. And then our third song next week, we haven't broken this release yet. This is on the split with Kill Your Idols. We have the song called Grandstanding from the Cheap Seats. Heads up, Dan. We can't put this song on the Spotify playlist because whoever input this 7-inch into Spotify made some kind of mistake. Which means Grandstanding from the Cheap Seats is something you're going to have to find on YouTube to listen to. Uh, No, no, that's not true. I will pull out my copy of the split 7-inch. Yeah, Yeah. because I love Kill Your Idols. Of course I do. I also love Kill Your Idols. Uh, I always thought they were fun. Uh, And for a minute, there was all that. Like when they first put out records on Side One Dummy, people got pissed off with them. Like they had sold out or like Vans was giving them shoes or something. So they had sold out. I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you talked to these dudes? Yeah. Uh, Pretty real dudes. Anyway, uh, I don't want to I don't want to give anything away, even though I kind of do. Yeah. And I love steps that is a jam yeah. the guest that i think we have for next week i'm gonna have to call them and make sure but uh i think i think we have our first guest next week okay we might have to cut this out just in case but yeah well you know uh there's gonna be some editing for this episode that's for sure <laughs> sick okay so we got steps we got static and we got grandstanding i just wrote them in yes. point form. Yeah, and if anyone listening is in Good Riddance or works with Good Riddance or Fat Records, please remember we're just two dudes doing this for fun. We uh, are not interested on stepping any, on anyone's toes. We don't own the rights to any of these songs for anyone listening. Dan, our last yes. week for our first ever contest. It is the last week for the first ever contest. That is correct. So to enter the contest, all you have to do, give us a little five-star review. Um, in that five-star review, just make up a fake good riddance title that sounds like a weird dissertation. And uh, the funniest one will get a cool little care package that will have some stickers, some uh, seven-inch records, CD, uh, and some other cool stuff that I just had kicking around. Um, if you don't want to leave us a five-star review, just, I mean, give us at least a subscribe or even just tell a friend that might, uh, might enjoy this. Follow us on Instagram at last believer pod, shoot us an email at last at gmail.com. And if you want to harass me specifically, it's Dan sup on Instagram. And before we just land this plane, I personally just want to give a, a plug uh, for a book that is up for pre-order. Actually, by the time this comes out, it'll be available for purchase. It is a photo book by my cousin, David Forcier. It is called Reckless. It is a photo book slash zine documenting the uh, Australian underground punk scene um, that he you know, photographed within the last couple of years that he was living there. So. Sick. Go over to loveyoumom.net slash reckless and, uh, yeah, pre-order it. I will, uh, you know, if, if you're not in Australia, heads up. Shipping from Australia kind of sucks. But the book is really <laughs> cool. And there's actually a mixtape that also comes with it that he curated and mixed of uh, the bands that are photographed. So, yeah, there's that. Thanks again for coming and hanging out and listening to two bozos chat about Good Riddance for a bit. Next week, we'll be back. 
Yeah. Right.